Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akrian, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. This is the ninth Ask Me Anything episode that I'm putting out. Um, it's an interesting one where I talk a lot about how I look at investing. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time answering some questions here. Uh, I had a session with a team uh, from one VC uh, investment firm uh, where they were asking questions. And then I also picked up another interesting question about angel investing. Uh, but before we go to this session, um, I want to remind you that I'm going to take a break for July and August on the podcast and we'll be back in early September with new episodes. But before we go to this Ask Me Anything session, here's a few words from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Zebedee. Zebedee lets you power your games with Bitcoin to add play-to-earn mechanics quickly and easily. You can now introduce tiny, lightning-fast micropayments that work natively in-game, something that wasn't previously technically or financially possible. The result is higher engagement from players, more time spent in-game, and more efficient use of your marketing budget. The best part is you don't need to learn all the ins and outs of blockchain to use Zebedee or to worry about managing all the financial hurdles. Their custom SDK and API let you easily add Bitcoin rewards into the games you're working on or the ones you've already created. You're limited only by your imagination. And the polished developer dashboard gives you direct visibility into the impact that your in-game payments are having. Zebedee handles all the rest. By building infrastructure on top of the Bitcoin protocol, Zebedee is creating interoperability between developers and studios, allowing the entire games industry to share in the same open standard for sending and receiving value. Head on over to zeb.gg forward slash egd to learn more and to sign up for access. The first question was, Given your angel investing journey, what are the kind of investment frameworks and mental models that you apply while evaluating founders and teams? Well, I usually always start with the founders and really focus on the founders a lot, on their background, what they've done before, have they been previous founders? I think that's one of the key aspects that I really focus on. If I think it's even like more important than anything else for me, like versus a really strong gaming background versus a really strong founder background. I would always go after the founder more as a trait that I really like when I'm looking at teams. And have they built teams before? Have they been leaders, managers? Have they had success and what was the reason for that success and were they kind of like in a key position to contribute to the success for in their previous job so like i might be excited about a new team that has left gram games or supercell or whatnot to build their own own company but then i find out 
later in the pitch that none of them actually shipped a game when they were at this big company even though they were there for three to four years doing stuff uh, I want to stress here that that doesn't really disqualify me from investing in these kind of founders but I just really want to set the stage clear that if you talk about this being a supercell veterans company what was the actual contribution to the huge success in this other company that those people made that will that will mean a lot for me when i'm evaluating this team and also i don't necessarily give like grades for games specifically like if this is a good game or not a good game but i rather look at the game that the founders have built and what that has led to um, so far in prototypes whatnot because that really reflects back to the founders as what kind of people they are like how do they think about the market their chances and i might be asking questions like okay so you're doing a match three game how do you know that like this is a game that you guys should be working on like are you gonna be the best at this kind of making these kind of games because usually like you're you're if you're going into this venture journey where you're raising funding in different kind of stages it it should be pretty clear that like second best doesn't always cut it uh so and even getting to the second place in a category is super super hard like i've observed countless companies in the last few years building merge games for the casual audience and it's super hard when when a category can really have a few winners and the rest will have a lot of problems actually growing past a certain stage in how many players are going to be playing their game what does the ROAS look like so like the best thing that founders can ask in this situation when they're just starting off is can they be the best at this thing that they're going to be building? Why? And does it make sense for them to be doing that thing versus something else? So like hearing the founders talk about these things and analyzing that that area is, is one of the most important frameworks that I use when I'm, when I'm looking at uh, evaluating teams and founders. The second question of the session was what are the key attributes of founders and teams that you get excited about and also some of the red flags that give you a pause in a deal so yeah i I think i want to first start off and talk about the ways that i i try to uncover insights about the teams the attributes about the team so first i focus a lot on doing reference checks talking to previous managers of the founders previous uh, subordinates of the founders maybe co-founders even investors like there's a lot of uh, a large group of people that you can talk to and, uh, and i've seen that it really does uncover a lot of details specifically like if you think about the previous question where I was talking about like people working in big companies and using their their sort of 
that name of the company as a go to card for for getting the investment um so i tried to uncover like what kind of role did they play in their previous company like what kind of manager they were like were they really like head down like working on stuff proving things like there's a lot of questions that you can you can uncover um and i i have yet to actually say no to any deal because of anything bad that was uncovered from reference checks but usually they are quite helpful to to just reveal a lot of good attributes about the founders and the second thing that i've been thinking about a lot especially now we're, that we're getting out of the pandemic uh, this is something that i'd want to do more and more is to actually spend time with the founders as i'm evaluating them like not on zoom calls but perhaps even like visit them uh, for a few days um, i remember i was raising with the founders of next games this the a round for next in 2013 and i was spending a lot of time talking with creandum which is a swedish uh, investment firm and they had this idea that they first want to spend time with the founder, get to know them, discuss a lot, um, also meet up with the other partners in the firm, uh, physical meetings. Um, I think like that idea of getting to know who you're going to be working with is really good because it really then gives you confirmation on your assumptions about what these people can do as founders um, i think creandum had that kind of like rule that they never invest if they haven't really spent several months getting to know the founders and then if i if i just talk about the key attributes here um, they come from understanding why the founder is doing a company what is their primary motivation uh, is it to get a quick exit or is it something that they could even think about committing 10 years of their lives to building and then seeing where where they get in that 10 years i think that's an interesting setup where it's not so much about a get rich quick or like i want to be a founder because i want to be a founder like like this I, I, I thing. But are they more motivated about building a great company, a great team, a culture, products that they can be proud of? Like those those attributes are super interesting to me. And then the second thing, and this is one that I've been recently thinking more about, is how the founders see investors. What is the investor's role in the perception of the founder are they partners on an adventure or are they more like means to an end basically like hey we get the cash and then we don't you know need anything else from these investors so i'm rather investing in those founders who are bringing me on board as a partner as somebody who can help to build the company to grow it um, of course there's it's not so binary as I'm now putting it. I think there's there's a time where your investors could be in the way when you're just trying to build and go to the next stage. But at least treating your investors as people who can add value 
and not being sort of like your your bosses or anything like that is is really good um yeah some if talking about some of the red flags i think like if people like this kind of toxicity thing it can come up uh but that's also not very binary because you might have been the founder might have been in a really bad situation which might have reflected as toxicity um so it's really a good thing to dig deeper into like this kind of information that if you start hearing that a founder is very toxic to be around with, why is a good question to ask versus just blatantly uh, understanding that they're toxic. toxic. Um, so, but yeah, I, I really want to focus on the founder CEO first off because they will be carrying most of the burden in any kind of company. The third question of this session was, as you see companies going from seed to scale, what are the operational challenges that you often see founders struggle with? So a few things come to mind. First off, pivoting. Like doing a pivot is really hard for a seed company like I, I think there's there's few things here why why it is so hard so i'll give you the obvious and the non-obvious one so the obvious one is that people don't want to kill their darlings they worked on a game for one year two years um, built a lot of cool art uh, designed a lot of things built content features everything now needs to go into the trash can and uh getting over that mental hurdle i've I've been there several times in my career where a game just doesn't work and we need to move on so the the best antidote for this situation is to actually have a lot of discussions on what did you learn from the project that you can take to the next one and really go into all sorts of levels. Talk about what kind of skills have you developed? Uh, what kind of understanding about the audience, the market you have now? Uh, what would have been, you know, some of the questions you should have asked yourself before you started this project? Because you might need to ask those questions now. Like, are you? do you have the right team to make a game like this? Do you understand why these games are successful? What are the underlying uh, attributes of games that that are successful in this genre? So if you don't do that learning, I I, I wouldn't say like a pivot really makes a lot of sense because you're basically starting at a similar disadvantage stage where you didn't really pick up anything that is useful for the future. But the second non-obvious thing that I've been thinking about a lot is not having this kind of natural curiosity about what is on the other side of the fence. <laughs> like, let's just bring an example of back in the day when free-to-play started emerging as the major uh, business model for games in the early 2010s. I remember there was a lot of hesitation from the premium crowd to actually understand that what it could mean uh, 
to actually move away from the premium model and start doing free-to-play games. There's a lot of ideology tied into this, but I think there's more to not having this kind of genuine curiosity to just look at the, the, the models, look at the new things that are surfacing. I've seen this with Web3 and crypto now as well, that teams just might not have the willpower to figure out what is going on in that sector and they're sticking it out doing you know the next merge game again that won't have the metrics or whatnot so it's going through these kind of processes where you're thinking about like what could be done better what is fitting for your team is the way to think about the pivot and being very like open and curious about what's on the other side of the fence is really good and healthy and then the, another operational challenge that I want to mention is going beyond the initial founding team. So I've seen teams being really good at hiring you know, artists, programmers, going from the founding team to, to kind of like these staff level hires. But how about hiring somebody who's uh, like a very senior, maybe hiring a CFO, CTO, or a product person or somebody to to even run the company like a CEO. Um, those are really hard things. I think one of the reasons why it is so hard, and this is one of those challenges as well for the founders, is being dilution sensitive about taking more investor money and diluting your ownership in the company. Like this this happens constantly. Uh, people are, kind of, it's a barrier to grow if you're very dilution sensitive. Like when there is, capital available to go to the next stage you should take it and not be too worried about oh i don't we founders don't have control of the company anymore it's gonna all go down the drain like investors don't want to control companies (laughs) like they want to support founders in building companies and like of course there's horror stories where founders have been replaced with externals but i think we've gone to a to an age where investors are more supportive for founding teams and want to back them versus backing a shell where they bring their own people into like adult supervision. I think this was happening previously, uh, but it's like I haven't heard of that happening in, in recent years at all in any cases. And then I would still want to stress as a third challenge for scaling so founders often don't think enough about the venture path. They just think about a certain game that they're launching and they're fixing that game, making it work. But I think they should more think about this one game as one small thing in a path of this venture journey. So like all these supercell outcomes, uh, these reworks, uh, big acquisitions of one game, like small giant games, there's one hit game and the company gets sold for hundreds of millions. Like, sure, that can also happen to you if you hit on this one right game. But I think the focus there on this finding this one hit that will solve everything is kind of very much the wrong way. You should be building a setup, a company that works in a way that great games are a side product of a great company. 
So I think that's one of the challenges for companies going from the seed stage to the scaling stage is because they're too much focused on one game that will solve everything. Now I'm going to go to the final question, which comes from Patrick, who asks, what are your top three insights from your experience as an angel investor about what makes a good angel investment? I think that's an excellent question. After taking some time to think about this question, here are the three things that most come to mind for me when I'm looking at a good angel investment. Um, well, first off, like I want to point out that a good angel investment is really hard to know if it's going to work out or not, because you're going to have to wait several years before uh, there's any returns on the investment. So what I usually look at is uh, people raising a following round, uh, putting the product out there and it starts working. So here are the three things that uh, in the characteristics of the company that I usually look at. So um, first off, uh, the, the experienced founders who can execute. When I look at the first six months of any of the companies that I work with, I've seen that the ones with the most experience are quick to get to work. They don't spin their wheels in the air, but they they sort of land on the ground immediately and, and start running uh, in a good way, uh, running. So they're hiring their team, they're making decisions very quickly, and they don't commit to long time frames of unknown but they strive to prove things out quite quickly, like shipping an MVP, minimum viable product, as soon as possible. They also start immediately to plan the next fundraise and what they'll need to present to get a successful investment round to happen in the next six months. Um, so with the less experienced founders, what I usually see is that they get stuck at improving their game for months on end, basically being stuck in the same situation uh, unless there's an intervention, uh, which usually is either they're gonna run out of cash soon or that their existing investors need to point out to them that they definitely need to pivot to continue their story. Um, of course, there are exceptions. So inexperienced founders, can be great at what they're doing as well. But I think it's it's great if they can show this kind of lean towards being action-oriented. Uh, that's what I talk about when I say that they can execute. And that they know that time is the most valuable resource that they have. There's always capital that's gonna be out there available. But what you do with your time with your team, I think that's the most important factor there. Now, second, um, if first off, it's like founder experience, founders can execute is the first thing that I, I think is a, a place to put a good investment in. The second thing is like, do they have stellar kind of like out of this world product and market insight where they really know 
what they're targeting. So they might be the best creative geniuses on the planet and they might have the right product and service that they want to build. But if they don't have the market insight, you know, meaning this knowledge of timing the market, all the conditions out there, how crowded it is, how are, how's the competition doing, um, what are the business models involved? Like if they're quite clueless on those, it's really going to be hard for them to, to execute uh, well on a product when it needs to ship. Um, one of my early gaming investments as an angel investor was in a company that they, they I felt like they had the best the product in their category. They had amazing KPIs. But during the the first six months of having the game out, uh, a lot of competitors launched games in the same genre. And those games were better positioned uh, for changing market conditions, like getting more saturated, uh, acquisition costs going higher and higher. Uh, and for the company where I was involved in, it became impossible for them to compete uh, when things started changing. So yeah, so first there's execution skills, then there's product and market insight in the team. And the third point I want to make is that there's a co-founding team where the dynamics are built so that the, the co-founders are supercharging each other. So there's alignment on their attitude of what they're doing uh, and they have complementary skills. So what I what I first talk about the attitude is that they, they feel like they're similarly uh, motivated to push through to build something that will be hard to make startups are always hard it's like you're fooling yourself if you're thinking that it's gonna be easy it's always tricky there's something that's gonna you know be really hard it's either when you start scaling or when you want to get really good metrics or kpis in your soft launch there's so many stages where there's gonna be problems so attitude of the founders needs to be aligned that they're taking a risky shot it's not it's definitely not going to be easy and they need to be aligned on that so on the skill side there's this complementary skill set that is required there's somebody who knows game design really well that's something that i've learned in the past three years that you need to have a really good creative on your team who is making creative decisions that are novel that will break through what the competition is trying to do, that you can win your category. And then you want technical skills to be excellent in your team so that things can move quickly forward. And finally, somebody who's a company builder, who's, who's constantly looking at hiring better and better people, making sure that there's money in the bank uh, through fundraise, and also like making sure that there's nothing going wrong with how the company is being, be, being built, especially on the culture side. So I, I think that's what I'm thinking about with this supercharging. So alignment on attitude and complementary skill sets. So thanks everybody. This was the ninth Ask Me Anything episode. Uh, 
I'm gonna now take a break on the podcast so I'll be back uh, on the first week of September with a new podcast episode so I wish you all a great summer 2022 and uh, I'll see you out there soon take care everybody bye bye <laughs>